What they neglect is the routine daily practices that artists, inventors, scientists, creatives throughout the ages have leveraged that drive their idea flow. These are discrete tools and methods that are repeatable. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn, and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. So Jeremy and Perry, it's so great to have you on the Learning Future podcast. Thanks for joining. Oh, it's so great to see you, Luca. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's, I mean, what crazy times we're in. Um, and of course, learning, something that both of you have been around for a number of decades now, never more important. What's something you've learned through this remarkable time that we find ourselves in? I mean, it's a time for reinvention, I would say. That's one thing. I, I've been uh, really inspired by the idea of what does it look like to come back to work a different mm. person? What does it look like to come back as, you know, in our, in our uh, verbiage, an idea machine? Uh, to come back, there's, you can almost think about this time as time in the chrysalis, so to speak. And what will emerge, it doesn't have to be what went in. And I think there's a real opportunity for folks who, who uh, decide to take it seriously and decide to be deliberate about certain practices to emerge from the chrysalis, a radically different individual. And that's, that's very exciting mm. to me. Yeah. I, I learned um, that the using these tools to teach, for example, through the last year was such a fabulous experience and incredibly frustrating. It's, it's, it was as if somebody said, don't use your, your right arm, right-handed, don't use your right hand and, you know, go for it. And you've got to do all of these things, you, you know, and we have a high standard and, you know, Jeremy and I teach a lot of these classes together and it was fabulous and frustrating and mm. incredibly creative. I I'm sure Jeremy, you'd feel the same as some of the experiences we put together for students using these new tools are really special because they were new to us too. And it's, yep, it yeah. was this fab. I, I, I hope to recreate that kind of churn again, mm. you know, it's, it feels good to be comfortable now and it was really good to churn it all. So. Well, it's interesting too. It did force us, you know, because all of a sudden the, the beauty of virtual is no travels required. You can be synchronous with people around the world. Um, a lot of our learning experiences, because they're so heavily facilitated, we've got a, an incredible crew of world-class design practitioners who mm. we bring in to coach and lead teams through this novel work that many folks are unfamiliar with. And that requires synchronicity, right? So it's not like you can just record a bunch of videos and then just say, good luck, you know, go practice this on your own. I mean, although we are trying that too. So it's not that we're unwilling to try. And we have seen some online programs that are actually, you know, asynchronous content be successful in transforming. But that said, our primary offer is actually the synchronous experience where we need people together. And, yeah. you know, a recent example, which I, which, uh, I think Perry may be thinking of is actually where uh, we were interacting with a Japanese company. And historically, they've brought folks to Silicon Valley and immersed in our environment for a handful of days. And we've gotten the chance to be with them. When COVID hit, all of a sudden, they, they couldn't do the Silicon Valley immersion, but they still wanted to get the equipping and the skilling up of their workforce. And so we started doing virtual experiences where it was evening our time and morning their time. 
but we're not going to teach all night and they're not really interested in waking up in the middle of the night. So we started doing, okay, how do we make this work given that we want to be synchronous, but our schedules are totally different. And so what we started doing was we'd launch the class 8 a.m. Tokyo time, which is 4 p.m. California time. We'd run from eight to noon their time, and which is four to 8 p.m. our time. And then at lunchtime, we'd break, which is our dinner. And then we'd give it, whereas ordinarily, you know, if they come here, we go dawn to dusk and the days are packed. And then we leave application and, and practice back, you know, for after they go back to Tokyo. Well, now yeah. we say, okay, we got to go to bed. But instead of going back to your day job, what if you just applied or practiced the tools that we, that we taught you in the morning in the context of your day-to-day responsibilities? And what we saw, and we did this several times with, with different groups, what we saw is a categorical change in the level of fluency, in the level of confidence, and the level of thoughtfulness about some of the barriers and obstacles to working differently. Because mm-hmm. instead of making application something that happens after class, we effectively made application a part of the class just by virtue of the right. time constraint. Yeah. I love it, uh, Jeremy and Perry. I, there's just so much to unpack in this. You know, I think one of the things that you're hearing is how do you do, as, as two educators, yourselves and an educator myself, you know, never before have we been called upon to learn so rapidly ourselves and to adapt and really just be in the mess of learning in the pit, you know? And so reinvention that. being one of the kind of emergent properties for all of us is, you know, never before have all of us had to learn together. And the student teacher, you know, kind of dyad really shift, you know, I mean, parents all over the world, when we had 1.6 billion children learning remotely, you know, they were closer to the learning process than they've yeah. been before as well, right? And many parents would say that. They're like, I don't know what I meant to be. So, I mean, it's really interesting to think about how do you, how do you take what might be considered a constraint? You know, for example, in this case, Jeremy, time zones and actually shift the experience so that you can bring in a more experiential or applied nature to it. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I have, a, I have a, maybe a piece of advice to my future self. I remember correct. vividly, I can't remember if it was the first class we did, Jeremy, or the second class we did virtual. And I remember the students stopping us and literally saying, this really sucks. Whatever we're doing, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's terrible. Remember, was, it, was it the leadership class? or the, I can't remember, but it, they literally stopped. It was launch pad. Well, it was a revolt. <laughs> it was launch pad. Yeah. It's terrible. It's truly terrible. It creates, you're creating hierarchy. We're not commenting. I'm not meeting. Like all these things are wrong. So basically it was a, it, what it had been a long time. I'd speak for myself that, um, well, Jeremy, you and I, we, we really do great classes. So we may mm. be on the margins. We're improving and tweaking and doing these things. Um, and it had been a long time since it was that bad. And it was awesome because we stopped. We recovered. We listened the rest of that class for the remaining time. We listened, took it in, did a lot of work, came back. And it was so much better, you know, it's classic. Like yeah. a demolition, basically. But when's the last time we did a terrible <laughs> class in, in the previous pre-COVID? Gosh, it's such it's been a, a long time point. since we really bombed, right. you know? And that was That's amazing, point. really bombed. That was when I will not forget that ever. We're just, it was full well, well, because, because, and Perry, what you're, I totally agree. It's, it's categorical. What we're doing isn't working. We have yeah. to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if it's just 10% worse, it's like, yeah. well, people, I mean, it's already, it's already really great. Right. But when it's a hundred percent worse, people go, uh, 
I'm, I'm revolting or I'm, I'm, I'm not attending class anymore. And that really forces some uh, introspection, I think, and some reinvention as well. That's, that I think is the, I mean, whatever we call it, the great pause, the great reckoning, you know, the great acceleration, which is the World Economic Forum's language. You know, there is something about this, this moment because never in our lifetimes have we just had to take stock and re, like almost go back to first principles about, well, what is this class for? Or what is this education at the D school for? What's this right. school exist for? What, what are we doing in this whole system? What's a society for? You know, like it's, it's just really profound to go to those deep questions and really kind well, of back to the philosophical basis. You know, you know, you know one thing you that you have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. One thing that you're kind of triggering for me uh, or reminding me of, which is exactly uh, on point is in, in creative practice, mm. the reality is it's mysterious it's serendipitous, it's not efficient. And we teach it in a three-day immersive environment where you get a definite output, right? And there's this, there's this existential uh, uh, schizophrenia we experience where creativity is, is, is boundless. And it's, it, it doesn't yield to a schedule and it doesn't yield to, you know, tactics. And yet we because of you know our the 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 fact that we exist in a time space continuum we have yeah. to program things we have to we have to make a schedule we have to employ tactics but we only employ tactics w- which have a more obvious immediate value for example daydreaming is an incredibly valuable tactic mm, cool. allowing your mind to wander is an incredibly valuable tactic if you came to stanford having paid fifteen thousand dollars for our course and we turned off the lights at one point and said everybody just let your minds wander you would want a refund right it's like <laughs> i'm not i didn't pay for mind wandering right and so what do we do so we bias our courses where everything it's high it's hard hitting mm. it's highly impactful it's obviously purposeful and useful yes. and we neglect creating space for the things that empirically and cognitively are just as important right mm. and there's preparation but then there's incubation right cognitively yeah, right. and and we we create no space i'm i'm speaking cognitively here for incubation mm. whatsoever right maybe think about it as you go to bed in your hotel at the west end down the street from campus right maybe think about it as you as you're rushing through the shower at the sheraton before you walk down palm drive but really that's not a part of the program that's kind of off hours but then when covid hit because Zoom fatigue is a real thing. It's yeah. a real phenomenon. We started just, just to be considerate of people's psychological need to leave the screen. We started having an opportunity to program in breaks, which we never could program in person because it felt like a breach of responsibility or a breach of an opportunity to use a moment productively. And now we're programming in the unproductive stuff, which is just as important, but harder yeah. to rationalize in person. So it's this great example of the tension and the paradoxes and, you know, the great acceleration, as, as you were saying, we're accelerating some of the things that really matter that we haven't, whether it's a lack of conviction or a lack of courage, we haven't foregrounded as much in different modes of interaction. Mm. And now we find, I wonder when we come back, I feel, I feel much more conviction and confidence to fight for seemingly unproductive activity because yeah, I know right. it actually matters, right? Yeah, gosh, that's really powerful. I, 
I really feel that as we go back to, and, and in Australia, we have, we're in a very unique position where we haven't had the same level of disruption to life. And mm. one of my concerns is that being here now, that that will actually mean that we don't innovate nearly as much as we could have, because frankly, we've just returned, we've snapped back to the old way without fully real, like seizing the opportunity to build, to create, to allow the space for the emergence of something new. You know, the old saying, in our desire to rush back to the old ways, what parts should we not rush back to and just allow, you know, to die so that something new can be born? And so, Jeremy, uh, to your point, and Perry, and having been at the D School and just experienced the incredible creative environment of a multidisciplinary team, um, it's, just, it's just an amazing environment to be in. And how will it be? that space and all the others, schools, universities, the new invention of the campus, whatever it is, how will they be even better by, by knowing that the synchronous in-person experience is more human than it ever has been before? Because we can, we can do the download direct instruction pieces. We can use the asynchronous, you know, like wraparound supports, all the work that you already do, right? And so when people finally come together and invest the time to get there, you know, I fly 15 hours across the Pacific to go over to Stanford, you know, like what's the huge value? And it's the fact that we can all look each other in the eye, we can have a sense of the presence and go deeply into creative work. And so I'm, I'm just, I think there's an enormous opportunity that not everyone is going to nail, but we should all attempt to in terms of creating a, you know, any convening that happens anywhere in the world cannot be, I'm going to say a few things from the stage and then see you later. You know, like, yeah. so there's a great opportunity. So I'd love your reflections as well, particularly around the big idea ideas really you're both deep generalists I, I, you know you're, what's well, the what's, yeah well you sparked for me lucas this idea that I, I didn't really break it up this way but these synchronous and asynchronous that one thing that was very much lacking uh we noticed it precipitously for example in the accelerators you know getting yeah. the companies is creative collisions is you know mm -hmm. what our big idea you know we're working on this book we'll talk about the end is it's about idea flow and um when you're stuck or think about entrepreneur, you've got some, something you're trying to get over, you some, you're trying to get over this hurdle with your business, you're trying to solve this thing. You need some ideas. What happens naturally in those environments, and we try, Jeremy talks about this hard-hitting classroom, we've got, you know, we're going to collide you with these two other founders, Luca, who are going to tell you what's wrong with your business and give you two ideas. And it's just like, oh, you know, you're, just, you're, you're getting all these unique perspectives. And you got to let, you got to build the trust. And we do that really well and fast. And da, da, da. But the flip side is the, the thing I noticed was assigning things now, like go take a walk, Luca, take yeah. your phone with you. We'll call in 20 minutes and, and carry this, this problem with you as you go out and we gave this assignment recently in a class, That's carry this problem with you. You know, so the founder who was previously, we would collide them and give them ideas that way. We're saying, no, we can't do that now. Um, Take this problem and go take a half an hour walk. Go, go look at your neighborhood. Mm. Go read the signs. Go, go and, and basically, you know, analogs. Look, look for comparisons. Look for things you can, but, but collide all these things in your world to create this together. And I think there's something about fabulous tools that are in that category and the tools that we can get back to in the classroom. But I think maybe, uh, maybe we're better now as educators to not conflate them 
And what Jeremy said is really true. I, I would have taken a perspective. These are, these are never going to fly because this is so interesting in the classroom and so special. So I won't, and I'm kind of waving my hands and smirking at myself right now <laughs> for the audio, but it's, but now I have true respect for the other tools in terms of idea generation. Great. And if you're going to equip the whole student, you know, that's got to happen as, as well. Yeah. Something around the embodied piece, you know, like the extended mind or embodied cognition. Yeah. You know, which yeah. is really fascinating as well, you know, like and it's almost a cliche, but you know, it's when you have a a decrease in prefrontal cortex. Um, you know, when your your parts of your mind are kind of switched off and you have like That's a right. greater connectedness between separate parts and you have this lateral thinking, these ideas, the shower, the walk, the looking at the fractals of nature, you know, and you go, ah, oh, you know, those kind of sparks that, um, you know, where true kind of transformation happens and it happens in an embodied way. It's not just the, the brain that's done something. It's also, you know, you can feel the emotive piece, the effective piece. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, we know more and more about that every year, you know, about how we feel impacts how we think and certainly how we lead and how ideas flow. And so how do we prime ourselves for different states uh, emotionally? You know, is it a song? Is it whatever the case is? And so I'd, I'd love for us to go into this world now of idea flow and tell, tell us all what you've been working on. Uh, because if we needed good ideas, well, it's always been now, but it's definitely now. Yeah. Because, you know, we try to rebuild and, and all the still, the kind of cataclysmic challenges that we have as a global species are still there. It's just mm -hmm. that we've, we've had different things on the front page of the newspaper for some time. So, yeah, what have you been exploring? And, and I'm just really, really interested knowing where you've both come from. Um, yeah, what, what you're kind of right at the cutting edge of at the moment. Well, you kind of got, uh, you, you kind of walked right into the trap yeah. uh, in oh. a way, Luca, <laughs> even with the word you used, because you said what we need right now is we need good ideas. And all, it's almost impossible for someone to talk about ideas without talking about good ideas. Mm. And it's, it's, it's so subtle that we, anytime we say idea, we say good. And it, which is to say what we're, we're particularly aware of quality mm. and what's been captivating to us as we've interacted with organizations and uh, entrepreneurs and inventors and artists is, is understanding that the single most important variable, which impacts the quality of ideas is actually quantity of ideas. And yet all of our thinking is oriented around quality. Mm -hmm. and, it, and just that single insight, if we'd shift and say, right now what I don't need, I don't need better ideas, I need more and better comes from more, then what happens is the way you interact with the world and the way you interact with the team and the way you interact with your daily practice and, in, and the way you seek out input and inspiration, it's a radical shift because the, the goal, when the goal is more rather than better, mm. lots of things change. And so for us, what we've been really inspired by is how do we, and artists know this, right? Um, if you, you can't talk to an artist without talking about inspiration. I stumbled across this insight myself in a couple of ways. One, my wife's a fashion designer and she'd take trips to Paris and New York, right? And, and get inspired. And I remember as a, an MBA at the time, she's going on these trips and I'm in spreadsheets going, what are you talking about inspiration? This is a joke, right? Like get back to work. You're like, yeah, you're cool. eating macarons. Don't say you're doing something else, right? 
So that's one thing. But then, so, so I kind of, that the topic came onto my radar then, but then I also had the opportunity. I taught a class with a hip hop artist named Lecrae last fall. Oh, cool. And we're giving our students an assignment uh, that Perry and I developed in the in, in the professional context years ago around gleaning inspiration from unexpected places. We call it analogous exploration. And Lecrae and I and the rest of our team are we're giving this assignment to students, and we're trying to describe how you can be inspired by unexpected things and mm. seek that out, be deliberate about it. You can see the blank. It's like I, you know, just teleported back to myself 10 years prior in business school, all these blank stares. People go, inspiration's not even on the radar. It's not a, like the only way they think about inspiration is it's a cheesy poster on a 1980s conference room wall. You know, it's like teamwork. That's inspiration, <laughs> right? But there's no, and, yeah. and so I see this blank stare and I just said, Lecrae, how do you think? I mean, he's like a gr- multiple Grammy award-winning hip hop artist. Awesome. What do you think about inspiration? And he said, and he just kind of shrugged his shoulders. He said, inspiration's a discipline. And to me, the, the, the contrast between those two, it's not even on my radar and I don't even know what it means to, it's a discipline, yeah. a, a, a rigor around seeking input and being inspired and recognizing inputs are what drive creative output. And if the goal is a lot of output, then the first, the first step is actually a lot of input, right? Yeah. Us, there's something there. There's an unlock, a magical unlock where you start attending to the input more. And when you start attending to volume more and you start attending to maybe Perry could talk about this, a routine behavior rather than an mm. event, mm. everything changes when it, when, 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 that's where good comes from, but it's actually an output, not, not it's not, it's the end of the equation, not the beginning. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. We've been doing some really fun interviews with different folks and this idea of a daily practice as we, as we look at people and analyze people that have, you know, really, whether in business or a, a creative outlet, super creative, it, it is more, it's almost like the reflex. If I'm stuck, the reflex is where's my material? Where, what, what am I, I, I don't have enough material. I, I got to generate more, more concepts, more ideas to, to, to navigate this. And it's sort of a um, barometer. Do I, do I have enough material? This, this one fellow has been wildly successful, um, uh, um, Heinrich, and he's, he's one of his companies just went public. So he's right. BarkBox, really a famous founder, super interesting. And he kind of has a barometer on if he needs to come up with some new marketing idea, if he needs to come up with something He's paying attention to how many ideas am I generated between his notebook, between this, you know, his, his Google assistant that's wired to sort of, you know, hey, Google, and he can tell it an idea and it loads it into, you know, whatever application wow. he has. So he's kind of wired his life. But it's really inspiring that he sort of has a, has a sense of the volume, you know, not unlike if you're a runner, I have a sense that I, did I, did I run today? Did I run a couple yeah. miles? Am I, am I sort of, you know, is, is this my routine? People we've seen that that do this well are are treating it like a practice, and and then it's fascinating these these tools that are amazing tools that favor introverts, amazing tools that favor extroverts. You know the way to generate ideas. I feel like Jeremy made this comment earlier. If you go back in my career at the D school at the beginning, I thought, okay, it's brainstorming. Let's yes and each other and generate lots of ideas. What's fascinating now is looking at. All of the research and all of the tools, there's, there's so many methods and ways to generate content. And we're beginning to expose our students to that now. We're beginning mm. to actually teach these things. And some are 
different. And frankly, COVID's allowed a chance. Like we've said, for some things, these wonder wanders, this idea of taking a walk, this idea of seeking out analogs, these, these ideas were welcomed in this time period. So that's maybe part of it. I didn't think about it, but maybe part of what stirred this up is realizing, whoa, like there's a whole orchestra to play for idea generation. And, and we're sort of like in the string section, you know, crushing it. And, and now we were starting to really play around and meet people and sort of play all these instruments. And it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> we've also, we've also had the opportunity to just to be self-deprecating and honest. We've also had the opportunity and the good fortune to indulge our inner nerds. And cool. the reality is we're drawing on, we're standing on the shoulders of giants at the D school, yeah. but sometimes we don't have much of an appreciation for what those giants did, how they lived, how they acted, how we got here. And one of the things that's been really fun is to dig deep into the history of invention and scientific discovery and artistic mm. expression and, and innovation and organizations and really say, what are some of the, what are some of the common themes and approaches and tactics and obs- forget common obscure pure, wacky stuff. You know, as an example, Einstein, uh, whenever he was struggling with an equation, you know what his tactic was? He'd pick up his violin and he'd start playing a Bach piece. Ah, cool. And his son, what his son said is many times he would hear the violin clatter to the floor and his father say, I've got it. And he'd be frantically scribbling a note, right? But you go, most people think about, they, they say, okay, if I'm playing music, I'm not working. Or an yeah. or in, in insert phrase here, if I'm blank, it's not work. And what we would say is that if you study the history of invention and creativity and scientific discovery, there are people, the, the masters of creativity are wielding these as techniques, they're wielding their hobbies. They're wielding mm. their diversions as a technique to advance, to tap into their subconscious. And to us, we've, we've learned so much. I mean, setting aside our own experience and expertise and line of sight into various companies and startups and things like that, which we have lots, but just digging into history and saying, mm. there's some really cool stuff. Nobody's talking about picking up a violin <laughs> and it, it worked for Einstein. You know, yeah. nobody's talking about, I mean, there's, there's tons of these stories that we just yeah. go, why are we not, why are we not incur- We gave an assignment to our leadership students this year, mm. play. Yeah, yeah. Right. And write down two ideas that come to you while you play. You, what you owe is a description of the thing you did that you love doing and what stuff came up for you that you weren't expecting to come up, right? Wow. And they go, wait, serious? Like, it's almost like, are you trying to trick us? <laughs> you know, if I say I played Ultimate Frisbee, am I going to fail? You know, because they don't yeah, know what to do wow. with that, right? Yeah. But it's ever it is a legitimate means of tapping into your mm. subconscious, and that's a legitimate means a legitimate means of stoking your creativity and yeah. just mm. op- all that. Which is to say, just what Perry said, opening up the the uh, the brass section and the rhythm section. This orchestra is massive, yeah. And the stuff that we've been teaching for a while, it's great, and it's highly complementary to a whole suite of tools and approaches that had for whatever reason, lied slightly outside of the purview of our specific subject matter. But we just, we want to claim it all for ourselves and we want to claim it all for everyone who's trying to be more creative and more innovative. And, and, and we believe there's way more material that they can be drawing on to be sparking their, their productivity and their enjoyment and their, and the ability, as we said, from the beginning to come back to work a different person. 
to come back a butterfly, you know, from the chrysalis, so to speak. That is so great. Uh, I, th- I think it was Einstein that said you can learn more from an hour of play with, about somebody than from a year of conversation. There's this idea of really just delving into it. And it's funny that as adults, you know, spending a lot of my life working in K to 12 education, you know, like you want to see true creativity, it's go down and play with the kindergartners. And, you know, it, again, on divergent thinking tests, when we administer them, which we probably shouldn't very often, but, you know, like, you know, they just, they just will flow and use these other parts of themselves, you know, become truly human. And I suppose one of my concerns now, even from a personal perspective, is just how optimized I feel the world is in this virtual space. You know, I'm sure your calendars are chocolate block, you know, 30 minute increments. And yeah. like, how do you, how do you hold space for being, not just doing, you know, for the play, for the, and actually realizing that these are practices and they're highly valuable. It's not that doing that is not work. It is actually unlocking, you know, other parts of who we are. Like how do we be truly human in this digital world is a question that I consistently ask myself. And the social structures we've created, really, we need to reinvent them significantly, you know? Schools, starting with schools and starting with a whole range of other verticals, I think, as we move forward. But well, the, yeah. you know, and, and the, Luke, I think the social structures, I, I have been an active contributor to that, for example, mm. in the teaching or in my previous life in business. Yeah. You know, some of the plans, deadlines, the structures, you know, that, that were needed, you know, to get through this. We got to have this Google Doc and you got to fill it out to do this thing in a class or you have to have this plan and it's got to be the structure and we're going to have this thing. Um, we have done a lot more, I think, frankly, and it kind of comes to mind in COVID to blow that up, you know, that, well, we're not going to do presentations that way anymore. You know, one class is like, let's just not have as many presentations because it's just, they, they're just not any fun. So suddenly it's like the class I thought was, was better. And we've, we dropped a lot of structure that I think, and some of it, I think, um, unbeknownst to me, reflected on, well, the way you do that is going to be these traditional methods. And it's sort of, I think, added stress and added sort of like almost like these steps that were wrote. And then, wow, if you blow it up now and we're giving different types of assignments, and I wish as a leader in a business, I gave different types of assignments of just like, don't come into the office today. This is the day not to come in the office. And instead, you know, be prepared for the next day with a lot of ideas. You know, that'd be fascinating, right? To, to, if, you, if I could go back in time and I, I would try that. We are now doing that in these classes and it's fascinating to see what you can do, but it's, it, it, there is a piece of it that's um, giving these things agency, understanding what it means to give them agency and being able to talk about this with, with uh, folks that are in a posture at the beginning of their career. Yeah. And our hope is we're making a huge difference. So what they remember is, wow, you know, when I get, get stuck, there's not just one way to do it, you know, which is the way everybody else is doing in my organization or my team. I've got a lot of other methods. And I think that's at the heart of what the D school is about is giving these students this dramatically uh, fabulous, amazing toolkit um, that, that maybe helps them navigate uncertainty and risk in their life with loads of interesting new methods and techniques. Uh, the I big, it, yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah. The, the big thing that I, that you, uh, reminded me of Luca in your question about how do we be a human being in the midst of this digital age and calendars and things like that. Um, one of the things that, that is so challenging in this m- 
meeting-centric environment. Everybody's calendar is ruling their lives, right? It's like, what should I do today? Well, what does my calendar tell me to do? And it's like, it's insane. It's like, I I genuinely believe 90% of people, if you ask them, they would say someone else has planned their calendar. Mm -hmm. But who plans your calendar? (laughs) You know, you do. But most people, it's other people are booking meetings. Well, have you ever thought about turning them down? Other people are booking things. Well, have you ever thought about saying no? You know, well, uh, I never have any time. What we need to say is when we, when we start to complain, I don't have time to blank. We need to, there needs to be a translation, which is I haven't made time to blank. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's really challenging. I mean, we were in a session just last week with an Irish executive. This, we've been working with this tech company in Ireland. They're, they're looking yeah. to do a major transformation uh, with innovation tools and design tools. And we were speaking about the need. We've been building this appreciation in the organization for a simple idea, experimentation as a means to learn. Crafting simple, clever experiments to gather or really create new knowledge and harvest enormous learning. And the organization appreciates it from a, in theory. It's cheaper, it's faster, it's smarter, it's funner, you know, da, da, da. It's everything, er. Yeah. Then we have a phone call. We say, all right, everyone share your experiments. Some people do. One woman, head of a department, says, I, I haven't had time. I don't know when to do it. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? And she said, well, it's Wednesday morning. Um, so there's only been two days in the work week. This meeting, it's the first meeting of Wednesday. It's meeting number 29 for me this week. Oh she said, goodness. So I don't know when I'm supposed to do an experiment. And we realize, and so, and so it's almost what we had to do and what we ended up doing. We, we invented this idea of create, writing yourself a love note, writing your future self a love That's note. Nice. You know what it looks like? You open your calendar and you create a meeting where the meeting uh, event details are the action that you need to take. You actually block time when you think of it. So if you got to run an experiment, great. You don't have time to do it. Awesome. Two weeks from now, will you block time that says, send an A-B test of these two subject lines to my direct reports? Mm. And then block, make sure you block a second love note, which is a week later, which is look at the open rates and response rates to my A-B test. Because you know what people do? They forget they commissioned an experiment. Mm. It's fa- and, and because the urgency of routine responsibilities and in a sense, appropriate urgency, because it's constantly crowding out. If you don't create space literally on your calendar to revisit assumptions you had made and experiments that you commissioned, you'll never revisit them. There is yeah. no pressure to do something new. Mm. Almost no one feels pressure to do something new, except this like weird existential feeling in there. And usually the answer is <laughs> I'm going to quit my job. Right. But if you want to, that's the new thing. I guess I got to quit my job. Right. But in the context of organization, if you want to create space to do something new, you getting back to your idea of agency, Luca, you literally have to grab your calendar by the scruff of the neck and say, what am I going to do this thing? Yeah. Am I, am I putting time on my calendar? Right. And it's really simple, but it's, if you don't get down to actually blocking the time and don't expect anybody else to do it for you. Yeah. If you don't block the time, nobody else is going to say, you know what? You need to be more experimental. You know what? You need some time to create ideas. 
If you don't create that time and different people do it differently. We were talking with an executive in Russia who works in the financial services industry. She told us Friday mornings, her boss is in another meeting. And so she says, I know I have three hours there where it's my creative time. And she said, I'm very (laughs) careful to not book any other meetings during that time because that's the most protected time of the week. Right. And that works for her. But the point is she has exercised the agency to identify that time on her calendar as a particularly fruitful opportunity for creative practice, right? And you wielding the calendar as a tool to drive the practice rather than using the calendar as a rationalization for why I can't is a, is a really important paradigm shift that people have to make. Ah, I just, I, so many great examples there. You know, the old saying, meetings, the practical alternative to work. You know, it's like, it's, but yet we're obsessed with them everywhere because it, it feels kind of productive, but it's only ever kind of pseudo productivity unless there's a real set intention behind them. It's so true. And your point, Jeremy, agency, I'm kind of obsessed by it because I really think, you know, from my vantage point as a learning strategist and whatever it is I do, you know, it's looking at what are the key trends and the themes that we're seeing across learning systems around the world. Um, that make them more human, which is obviously a bent that I have, right? Like how do we create whole person experiences at work, you know, in universities, in schools, in societies that are kinder, gentler, more creative, et cetera. So, and there's something around agency here. And even, you know, a friend of mine recently, I used to write these long to-do lists. I'm sure you both have them as well. I don't write them anymore. No more lists. I have now. No more lists. No more lists. No more. No more lists. No lists. One of our professors to take his class. No lists. Well, this is the, yeah. And the, the, but it's also externalizing, like, this is what you must do. So, and then you realize, you forget your own agency in that. So, you know, if you're going to do anything, it's a get to do. Like, I choose to do. You know, and rather than saying, I don't have time, Jeremy, it's always prioritization. It's like, I'm not prioritizing that. So if you switch out, sorry, I, didn't, I don't have time for, I didn't make it a priority. I mean, that's taking full responsibility. That's agency level 100, which is pretty hard, I think, to live your life like that. But, but I certainly think, like, in the future of learning systems and of you know, leadership and executive level and whatever's happening, the idea of being just so aware of the agency you have to act, to reinvent, yeah. and in fact, the necessity to do that through a practice, which is what I'm taking from this conversation, through a, like a disciplined practice that's rigorous but not rigid. You know, and that's yeah. a really powerful thing, I think, to reflect on. And so, Luke, I think that the other thing is just a, in terms of agency, I, the one thing working on this book and why the book, the book process is you sell a book proposal and then you actually figure out what the heck you're doing. <laughs> what the book's going to be? Yeah, great. <laughs> One thing has been digging into the neuroscience and, and mm. Jeremy is awesome. He'll dig, dig, dig. And then I get the benefit of reading these cool articles. And the neuroscience, it, it's agency. One place agency is coming from is helping people understand how their brain works. Mm. For example, one of the, one of the ones I love is if you're stuck, you know, ask your brainstorm the opposite. If you're looking for ideas to make your podcast great, you should do a brainstorm by yourself and just say, how can I make it the worst podcast for education? How can I make, you know, (laughs) almost no impact? What would be some really good ways to do that? And you brainstorm this stuff, but it unlocks new connections in your brain. And you'll see, you take those ideas and you say, well, I'm going to take a really crummy idea and now I'm going to turn it into a good idea. It just forces you to create the, in the billions and billions and billions of connections your brain can make, you can activate them. Yeah. You yourself. It's like, it's, it's, it, what's, what's interesting is I feel like some of these things, it's, it's almost like you turn over to the, um, I had my teenage son realize there's a little document in the, in our car called an owner's manual. 
<laughs> like all oh these God. features we didn't know about like the our car had a rear wiper or something and suddenly discovered it one day like oh interesting you know but um you, you can do things to now he knows to look at a manual and maybe look up some of this stuff right and it's but you can create connections and i think that's one of the, the concepts by idea flow is these are discrete tools and methods that are repeatable that are not the dominion of super creative artists that, oh my God, yeah. Picasso did this. There's no way I can do that. Well, no, he just noticed things, sketched them, and then, you know, went back and did it. He had a studio filled with materials so he could routinely do it. What does your workspace look like? Is it filled mm -hmm. with materials? You know, so it's not about anything that's, that's the, the mystical dominion of super creative people. It's demystifying this and saying, wow, you as a student, you as a learner, you know, you can activate yourself, you know, and if you understand these things, it's wow, what a terrific way to go through life with dozens and dozens of ways to activate your creative energies, yeah, as opposed correct. to feeling like I'm stuck, or I only have one way, or I've got to be with another creative person to do it, or I've only ever seen it done one way, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that, that concept of French. Teacher, teachers as well. Yeah, I mean, it's students, it's also teachers. And one of the things we've been delighted by is the number of educators who are drawn to our oh, methods, yeah. who are drawn to these mm -hmm. talks that teach there. I mean, I would say one of the most hungry, you know, I don't know if you call it a demographic or a, or a type of audience that I've experienced recently is educators. They're longing for change in their own life, certainly in their classrooms, Absolutely. but also in their own practice. And that I, I want to revisit just, I know as we are probably about to wrap your, your comment on rigorous, not rigid. I love that as a frame. I mean, it really is to, if, and if maybe if, if folks take one thing away from this conversation, it's stop thinking about the need for ideas as a moment, as an event. All too often, you know, it's a sprint, right? It's a hackathon. It's a workshop. And what we'd say is it needs to be a lifestyle. It, yeah. And they're really simple things that you can do to hack a lifestyle where creative practice and input seeking and a volume of output generating and scrappy experimentation can be a part of your normal life. And for, I mean, we really value obviously sprinting. We run workshops, we run an yeah. accelerator where they can't, there's no time to not sprint, right? But uh, there's a great book that some folks from Google wrote, which is, you know, phenomenal but with all this emphasis on sprinting again, just like at the beginning of our conversation, what we tend to neglect is there are other modes. Where's the stretching? Yeah. Where's the warming up? You know, would you mm -hmm. just get up from the desk right now and run a 400 meter dash? Uh, you know, it's like, yeah. Or Only if you want to injure yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to ideas, we go injure yourself, you know, yeah. rather yeah. than hang on, what's the warm up? What's Priming. the stretch? Yeah. What's the, you know, are you getting limber, right? And so yeah, to us, cool. it's not either or, but it's in the emphasis on fast results and event-based interactions. What most folks fail, what they neglect is the routine daily practices that, that, artists, inventors, scientists, creatives throughout the ages of leverage that drive their idea flow over the course that's, of a lifetime. That's wonderful. Perry, any final words from you to add to Jeremy's? Oh, I think, uh, first of all, thank you, Luca. And it's, it's, it's been so long since I've seen you. I feel like it's, it's just been terrific getting a chance to um, um, push these ideas into your brain in a way. And I do think this rigorous, not rigid, um, I know Jeremy is already crafting um, a, um, 
a, a blog post on it as we speak. But there's, <laughs> totally. there's something totally. I, I think you've given a t- like a, maybe the title to like what we're doing in a, in a much better way. That it's, it's it, I think we've been fighting areas of rigidity and I believe I just self-effacing. I've done a part to create in my classrooms, in my business to create that where it's, it's been vastly outweighed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think there's something about what you've said and the way you positioned this, just the concept of idea flow, that that's really the point mm. is thinking about, you know, do you have these techniques? Do you have this ability? But it's not this rigid thing. It's yeah. not, you know, and, and that's too often. I think what we see as a reaction is like, oh, I got to get lots of ideas. Great. Let's go. I've got 50. I got to get 40 more and then I'm all good. You know, whatever the number is. Right. Mm. And it's just not what we're after. Yeah. Well, I have to say to you both, I'm very excited to see IdeaFlow when it's released later. IdeaFlow.design is the website for anyone to sign up to the community and to hear more about this work. And it's, it, I find it just so fascinating because it's just a horizontal that's deeply human. How do we actually unleash creativity and innovation through the practices that we embed in our lives? Thank you so much, Perry and Jeremy, for spending some time with us on Absolutely. the Learning Future Podcast. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.